Welcome to the Movement PT Coffee Cast, where we sit down and talk about physical therapy, health, and whatever else comes to mind during our coffee-infused conversations. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Movement PT Coffee Cast. My name's Dalton, and with me, as always, is my beautifully bearded friend, William. William, how are we doing today? Doing excellent. It's good to see you again. I know, man. It's been a while since I've actually seen you in person. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, we've been doing uh, weather updates a lot lately, eh? Yeah, I know. Let's not talk about the weather. No, no weather? No. Okay. Let's talk about the fact that you're officially a registered physical therapist in Whoa. Canada. How do you feel, man? I feel incredibly relieved. <laughs> yeah, no, man. How about you? Me too, me too. Let's, so, like, I'll just quickly talk about, like, how it went down. So, I was at school. Or not school. I was at work. <laughs> and I got the text, actually, from our guest. was like, hey, did you check, <laughs> did you check to see that the, uh, the exam marks are up? And I'm like, oh, man, no. <laughs> so, I went and I searched it. And the unfortunate part is, like, you literally type in your pin. Like, I know you know this. Mm-hmm. You type in your pin, and then it just pops up. And it just says, like, pass or fail. And luckily enough, it said pass. That's amazing. I was at work as well. And, uh, I got a message from a coworker and my heart just started beating so fast, like faster than it ever has. Mm-hmm. And it was probably about 15 minutes before work. And I don't know what happened, but it was like, I just left. I immediately just got up and left work, <laughs> went into a parking lot and I couldn't get on because the website was like, crashing and so I kept going kept going and I noticed that it loaded so I pulled over and then I checked it and I found out that I passed it's amazing weight of the world you know what? off our shoulders let's cheers. cheers to that and then we'll get into the to the uh to the guest to the very fitting yeah. episode yeah so guys we're back at it again with another episode this week we're interviewing a physical therapist from Canada Toronto um well kind of now he's moved but um we have Cash Mahdi. He is, uh, like I said, a physical therapist as well as the host of Physio Night Out, which we'll talk about in this episode. And he also has um, an educational website that he, and uh, course that he runs called Physical Therapy Development Institute. So Cash, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, boys. How and it's doing? cool to see it on the other side saying this. I'm a listener of the show, by the way. Yeah. I listen to a bunch of episodes. Super awesome show. Thanks for having me on, guys. No problem. We're excited to, uh, to sit down and chat yeah, with you. for this. Um, why don't you just start off? Well, just let everyone know kind of a little bit about you. Me and Will were kind of talking about this. I'm like, you know, I've met Cash like probably three or four times, <laughs> but I literally know nothing about him and his background in physio. So I'm excited to actually hear uh, a little bit about you. Yeah. So uh, I guess things happen by chance a lot of the, the time. So in high school, we're picking uh, our application where we're going to send off for our university. This was grade 12 at the time. And I picked a bunch of business courses, I guess business uh, majors. So I picked like two business schools and you pick three to get your application for a certain price, right? So I asked my buddy, what are you applying to? He's like, kinesiology. I said, what's that? And he's like, oh, it's like sports medicine, sports doctor, like dealing with injuries. I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. Let me apply for that too. Had no idea what it is. I just put it down on the sheet. Yeah. So afterwards, the second semester, we took exercise science. That was my favorite course. And I know Anthony, Canadian physiotherapist student, he talked about this as well. Pretty much same, similar situation. 
where that was my favorite course, really liked it. So dropped the whole business thing, went into Kin. And still, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just went to university because everyone was university, right? And in my second year of university, I, had, I was uh, diagnosed with cancer at that time. So I had to drop out of school. So I was out of school for a year, getting treatments. And when I came back, um, I was taking a lot of things focused on going into med school. Because at that point, I was inspired to be a doctor. Because I, I never really had a lot of experience with physios. I never had a lot of experience with medicine at all. So I didn't really have any experience to base it off of. So I really didn't know what I want to do. But my oncologist was really great. And he inspired me to want to help people. So that's what led me down this type of road. Um, then in fourth year, I was, I was studying really hard at that point because before that, I was probably a, a BC student in university. And then because I had this goal of going to med school, I brought myself up to being like a 90 student. But I was really burning out. Like I was studying so much that I was burning out hard. So uh, I was doing some research whether this is really what I want to do. And in my fourth year when I was researching, I saw this, this forum and in the forum they were talking about whether it was a good decision to be a doctor and the student was asking like, should I become a doctor? I don't know if I should, was it worth it? And I see doctors actually responding to this post and all of them are writing like this one page long essay about like how they never get to sleep and they're working for 14 hours and people are mistreating them and, not, and no one appreciates them and all this complaint for like a whole page and the end they just write, but if you really love what you're doing, it's worth it. And like the message I got is they're just justifying like all the shit they went through to get through there. So that sort of changed my mind whether I want to go into med school. So I took a year off and started working. And during that year off, I was working as a kin as well. And um, I also got injured after um, I got injured through that time in university where I was wrestling and I tore my meniscus. But luckily, it, was, it got better on its own through physio. So I started thinking about that. I started working, volunteering at clinics, volunteering at hospitals. And like after seeing what physio can do, I got inspired and I'm like, this is what I want to do. So I applied to, to physio school and luckily I got into one of them because <laughs> I got some rejection letters too. And that was heartbreaking. Yeah. But I got into Queens and the rest is history. It's so funny because that's actually something we hear a lot. We hear a lot that people don't, necessarily have this dream of becoming a physio but it's sort of like a blend of different things that leads you towards it you know what I mean like like you had your kind of business background and then your medical background and it's almost like you kind yeah, of I had no business background it was just like let me just pick something oh, so <laughs> no you, business background. you were just going into business. <laughs> high school and I'm like oh like what should I pick oh business sounds good so let me apply UFT business and Parson business and that was it. <laughs> so when did you graduate from Queens? Uh, 2015. Oh, okay. So, so not Jared's here. So Jared, you guys had Jared on. And right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then since then, I, give me a little bit of like where you've been. I know you were mm -hmm. doing a little bit in the hospital, right? For a bit. Yeah. So I did the hospital in the States. So first coming out of physio school, my plan was to go to the States and work as a travel PT because they had this job fair and someone told me, oh yeah, it's no problem. It's easy to go. And what happened was a week before the written exam, I was planning not even to study for the written exam. I'm like, oh, wing it. I'm just going to go to the States anyways. If I pass, I pass. If I don't, I don't. But then a week before, I was offered a job uh, from one of my placements. So I'm like, oh, I guess I got to study now. Luckily, I passed on one week studying for nice. that. Um, and then 
And luckily, the whole situation is really lucky for me that she even did offer me a job because getting to the States was like a one and a half year process. So that would have been one and a half years of me sitting around. And it was really because like no one really knew what I needed to do. I'd call like different uh, state boards. They had no idea what I had to do as a Canadian. So it took a while, a lot of mistakes there, but worked in a clinic in Whitby for a year and a half. Um, then I went to the States as a travel PT. I worked at a skilled nursing facility for six weeks. Was not a fan. I know now that's not what I want to do, <laughs> for sure. Uh, then, my, then I came back and worked at the same clinic again in Toronto, and then I headed back and went to Florida and worked at an outpatient, inpatient split hospital in a rural uh, town in Florida again. And that was probably the best experience I've had as a PT, just being able to do everything. You're in a rural town, you get to see neuro, you get to see peds, you get to see cardio, ortho, everything, because you're, like, you're the PT for everything. Mm -hmm. So that was probably one of my best jobs. And then I came back to Toronto, worked again, and now I'm back in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's cool, excuse me, is uh, hearing your story is that you've really allowed yourself to be flexible and open and also honest with yourself about what you don't like doing and what you do. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I had no plans of doing any hospital or doing anything other than MSK getting out of school. Like all my placements, I sort of weaseled my way into doing only MSK. I had one mixed placement where I had like peds and uh, a bunch of other stuff in there, but I tried my best to avoid everything else and just go into MSK. And it's sort of weird that I ended up sort of doing everything in the end. Yeah, I'm sure like, I mean, probably looking back at it now, it's definitely been valuable for you in terms of like what you're currently doing with like obviously like the physical therapy development institute, like the program that you're running there. Um, even with like physio night out that you're running, we can talk a little bit about that. Like just making connections with a bunch of people in order to bring them in to like speak, like has that really played a role in like where you are now? Uh, I don't think the varied experience did like having different experience in different settings, but I think just being super into physio, like you guys are right. Like we're all super into physio on my spare time. I'm looking at physio stuff online on social media I'm doing courses like my first year out, I was taking courses like mad. I think I counted, maybe I did like 50 or something courses combined with like online and in person. It was just, I was going at it super hard and just like listening podcasts and all the, all the time too. And, uh, yeah. So I think more of just my passion for physio is what led me to do all the different things in physio, all the other side things. Why don't you uh, like take us through Physio Night Out, like how that became, how that started, because that's where we first met you. So I'm just curious to hear like what made you want to start something like that. Maybe you can kind of give a little bit of background in what that actually is um, for our listeners. Yeah. So I think when Jared was on, he gave a pretty good summary, probably better than what I can right now. Uh, so, so what Physio Night Out is, I guess the easiest way to explain it is like a TED Talk speaker series uh, where I bring in different speakers regarding different topics in physio and then afterwards we go out and have beers so that's pretty much what it is that's Mm -hmm. the short of it and what inspired me to start that was actually in the beginning it wasn't a speaker series when I first started out it was just like hang out go to a bar I went to um, something in the states called PT pub night and when I went to this thing again I was completely new in the states in Florida and Tampa and I didn't know anybody And because I'm so into physio, it was cool meeting a bunch of other physios. So I went to this PT pub night in Tampa and I met a bunch of people and like 
I had fun talking about shop. That's what I love to do. So I talked with a bunch of people, met a, made a bunch of contacts. And I'm like, damn, they should have someone like this in Canada. Like there's nothing like this. So I thought about maybe starting PT pub night and like seeing if we can get that come there. But I thought it'd be really difficult to get people to come because you post something up on Facebook and send an invite and no one's going to know. So I thought it'd be easier if I start my own thing and have a group, like have a Facebook group. Cause then when you, when you post something on a Facebook group, it notifies everyone in the group. So I started that. And the first one uh, I did was just a like get together, hang out at a bar, talk shop type thing. And about 30 something people came, which was more than what I expected. But most of them were past students from the PTDI courses. So based on that, I'm like, man, like there, there's quite a bit of people that are coming out to this thing. There's a few people who weren't who I got to meet at this event too. So I'm like, what if I bring out some speakers and that way I can also, you know, maybe help influence a lot of the new grads that were coming to this because it was all new grads. It was everyone who was from PTDI. Uh, so I thought it'd be a good way to like influence them, get them to learn some stuff. And I was thinking more about bringing speakers that I thought were legit because there is a lot of info out there that uh, isn't so legit, I should say. So I thought about like, maybe what if I bring like Greg Lehman out or Barum or bring some other people uh, that are more down with evidence. And I thought maybe that can help influence the next generation of PTs to, to not go into some of that, that stuff that's not so, so evidence-based. <laughs> Pseudoscience. Go down the rabbit hole. I don't want to, the rabbit hole, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think what's really special about what you've kind of created uh, is community and also connection. You know, like something that me and Dalton have really realized is like the value of connecting and collaborating with others is huge but also combining that with like a learning experience, right? So you kind of like go there, you learn, but then you also get to have conversations about what you just learned with, you know, everybody else. And I think that gets you um, almost, it almost helps it stick a little bit more uh, when you actually For do sure. that dialogue. It's it also, really is a cool setting. Like it's yeah. a really cool thing to have so many people meet each other for the first time yeah. at these yeah, I thought that was what was cool for me too, is like being able to meet some people for the first time, but then also being able to like see such a wide variety of clinicians and students. Like you really had people from every area. And like the one that we, me and Will went to was obviously the one like Zach and Steph came down, which was like cool. Like there's a lot of, let's say like people on Instagram that we've connected with that now you're meeting in person. So like that was also pretty cool, but it was just nice to see like a wide variety of people there that were just all honestly there to like just talk physio and, and learn. Like it was a very stimulating environment and it was, it was very well like managed and everything like that. So. Yeah, it really is cool. I, I feel the same way. Like when I go to these events, I get to meet a ton of people and everyone who comes to these things, they're also passionate about physio. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've realized is like, I as like going to these events is so key. Like, um, I would encourage like if there's any students or anyone listening, like if there are networking events and events like that, where you can go out and like meet other people in the profession, like go do it. Cause like the conversations that you end up having can, can, you can learn a lot, but you can also like you can just change your views on a lot of things. That's what I've experienced. So yeah. Far, so. yeah and I, I know some people even made connections for jobs at these events. So yeah, yeah. it does help career wise as well. And you get mentors and people you can bounce ideas off of. Yeah, I definitely recommend it for anyone as well. If there's any conferences or anything like that, head out, meet some people. You know, for me, going out to the PT pub night in the States, it was a little bit uncomfortable not knowing anybody, like going there solo. But 
you know, people are really friendly. You'll make conversation really easily and you'll fit right in. Is there anything that you've like personally learned, like from starting the, the physio night out, like through the process or just kind of observing from like the sideline when people are up there speaking and stuff like that? Yeah. So one thing that I did notice um, is that if you want people to come out, you really got to push it a lot. So if you make, it's not really like a, if you build it, they were come, they'll come situation, right? You really got to like push it a lot or else your number's not going to come up. Um, so when I do put on the physio night outs, you'll see on the Instagram stories, I'm pushing it constantly daily, right? If I didn't do that, people wouldn't show up. And I've seen that before. Another thing that I learned is just because someone says no, doesn't mean that it's actually no. I've had situations when I was trying to book, um, book like the after spot, right? Like going to the bar afterwards and I'd call up the restaurant or I'd call up the bar and they're like, oh yeah, we don't take reservations. But I call again and someone else picks up and they're like, oh yeah, how many do you need? And they make the reservation. So <laughs> <laughs> you just got to try and try somebody else, right? Yeah. There, there's not only one way to do things. You can do things many different ways. And in this situation, like, you know, try another bar, but I called the same bar and they took the reservation. So, <laughs> you know, you just got to be a little bit more resilient and try again. That's, that's a great lesson for life. Yeah, <laughs> the same PT principles apply elsewhere, eh? Yeah, yeah it applies in life. Um, so do you see it going anywhere um, further from here? Or do you see kind of staying much the same as it is now? The physio night out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I haven't really thought of anything beyond this. Uh, it's probably gonna for now stay what it is. I'm probably just going to bring out more speakers, have more physio night out events. And that's pretty much it. No plan to, I've been asked before if I have plans to monetize it. Mm -hmm. I don't have plans to monetize it. I want more people to come and more people to see these speakers and be exposed to this, meet other PTs. And that's it. I don't think ever it's going to be monetized. Yeah. Did you ever see like when you came into physio, like these opportunities, like did you, did you realize that these were things that you could do like as a physio or was it something along, along the way where you're like, Hey, like this is also something I can do with my career and have an impact and push the profession. And yeah, none of this, I didn't have any plans for this prior to going into physio school or during physio school. Uh, I think a lot of this came up like as I saw it, like yeah. when I saw this thing in the States, I'm like, Oh, let me bring it here. When I, when I saw there was a gap in uh, studying for the PC, like there's no good material out there for Canadians. It's all American materials. Me and my buddies are like, why don't we start something, right? So mm -hmm. it really came up um, on the fly. Yeah. No prior plans. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about what you did with uh, the Physical Therapy Development Institute. That's, how, that's what it is, right? Correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was our saving. Uh, yeah. That saved us. So like just for our <laughs> listeners, like how it works in Canada, cause I don't know if people realize, but like, so we do a written exam and then once we pass a written exam, we have to pass like a, a practical exam in order for us to be like licensed to practice as registered physiotherapists. Um, so we, we both passed the written and then it was time to study for the practical and me and Will were like, well, I have no idea what the hell to do or how to study for it. And then I was like, oh, I'll just read some stuff. And then I realized it wasn't working. And then thank God I came across cash, um, and his program. So I'll let you kind of take it from there and maybe give a little bit of info into like what you're doing with that program. Yeah, so right now we only have courses for the clinical component, but I've been working for, I was speaking to you guys before this, for about three years on building a book and a course 
for the written component, so that'll be coming out soon. But for the written component, we have two courses. We have a five-week program, and the five-week program is a mix of lectures and stations, and at the end of the five-week program, you have an actual mock exam, like a mock OSCE. So we go through that where we essentially are reviewing all two years of physio school, but it's geared towards the clinical component of this exam specifically. So we're trying to filter out all the excess stuff and really focus down on the stuff you'll need to know for the PC or might need to know for the PC. And then we also have the one day boot camp, and that one's more geared towards Canadian grads. And the reason why we geared it more towards Canadian grads is because we've had some foreign grads in the one day boot camp, and it's just overwhelming for them. It's just too much info, too much to go through for one day, and they have a lot of questions. And it becomes like I, I just felt like it wasn't. Um, we weren't doing them justice by allowing them come into the one day program because then they take it and it, they really don't get the benefit that they need. So the one day boot camp is pretty much all Canadian grads. Uh, and it's really cool because you get to meet a bunch of other grads from different schools. And the one day boot camp, all it is, is just like station after station after station after station. And after every station, we take it up, we review it with you, tell you what you should have been doing, give you feedback during the station. So during the station, our instructors are out giving you feedback, watching you do the stations. Afterwards, you come back and we review it, what you should have done. We give you some tips and we give you ways to, to study more efficiently and tackle the station um, more effectively. So for sure, I think people can pass without the boot camp, but I think we definitely help people save time with this. Like it's a lifesaver because you're not wasting all this time looking through all your notes and trying to put it together and the stuff that you don't know that you don't know, we sort of tell you those things already. Yeah, and also I forgot to mention all the courses also come up with a study guide and that's what everybody loves, the, yeah. the study guide we created. And as well, we do a lot about uh, Facebook Live um, lectures and Q&As throughout the course leading up to the exam. Yeah, because I think those Facebook Lives are huge because you tend to cover topics that are known to be a little more maybe unknown. Mm -hmm. So things like pediatrics. <laughs> yeah, that we don't get a whole lot of in-depth like mm -hmm. knowledge in school. But yeah. it, was, it was a saving grace because like you kind of mentioned, when you get out of, uh, when you graduate, it's not like there's a blueprint on like, Hey, everybody, this is what you got to do to study for the PC. It's kind of just like a free for all. Yeah. And you're sitting there and you're like, well, what do I do? Like, I don't know. I have but notes, but I have no clue. Like two, how two years worth of notes. Yeah. Yeah. It's way too much. And the manual kind of condenses it. So that it's like, okay, well, uh, here's, here's everything I, I should, I should know. And then you have the kind of like guidelines on how, like, I think you guys teach more about, about how to go about doing the exam. Like it's, it's almost like not as much about the content as it is like, here is how you go about performing. Yeah. Cause like, and you talk about it a bit in the course is like, it's, it's like a game, right? You're like playing the game. You basically... Yeah. Half you, it's it's not really the the time frame of the stations is not realistic to practice. Like you literally got ten minutes to go in and do something that you probably wouldn't. You would have way more time to do in real life. Um, and I think like the way that you guys broke it down was really good. And I think for me, the boot camp, like physically going there, was a game changer because you don't really realize how little time you have, like the five minutes to like make sure you're covering, like getting consent, like 
you know, covering all the little things that they're trying to mark you on. Um, and you can practice a million times with your classmates and like set a timer, but like actually being in that high pressured like situation is like as close as you can get to the actual exam. Now of doing it, like since we've done it now, like I look back and I'm like, I'm very happy that I actually did that because it prepared me for the rush of the actual exam because it's even faster when you're in there. Yeah. And we try to throw in some of those tricks that you might see in the exam, like things that uh, could potentially make you fail a station or the entire exam. So we try to throw some of that in the, and we actually try to, we overdo it in that we put it into almost, almost every station, just so that you're aware of it. Not that in the actual PC, you'll probably get that many tricks, but we put it in everywhere so that you're aware of it. So that if it does come up, something similar does come up in the PC, you're aware of it and you catch it before it's a problem. It's not, you'll, you'll learn your lesson in the boot camp as opposed to in the exam. Right. Progressive overload of, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was. I know people were burning out at the end. We try to make it fun though. We try to, we try to do joke scenarios and try to make it fun, make people act out scenarios and yeah. act out characters. But it is a long day and uh, I think we're going to keep it that way just because mm-hmm. we still want to cover all the different material. I'd rather people be tired at the end of the day, but pass the exam. Like yeah. that's the goal of it is to pass the exam. And, and to be honest, like that preps you for that day because that day was terrible. Like it was, the, <laughs> it was the longest day. Like, like you get there and you're sitting around and you're waiting and you're anxious and you can't talk it's like prison man you can't say anything you're like yeah. sitting there you're you're worried like then you go into the stations and it's like a blur like you can't even like know what happened and then it's just like boom 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 yeah. boom next station next station it's crazy like I, you, you know you don't even know what's going on you take a 10 minute break and then you go back in it's like you're going back <laughs> out to war man like strap up grab your stethoscope throw it around your neck oh you guys had 10 minutes i had like an hour break and that just it just, you just take a nosedive. Your energy is drained after that. You take that break. You go through that first session of like, of like scenarios and then you're like, you finish and you're ready to be done. And then you're like, man, I got to go through another, like, I don't know. I can't remember how they break it up, like eight stations or whatever. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God, I'm dying. Here. I don't think there was a coffee break either. No, no coffee. <laughs> it was so funny because when I was done my exam, I saw Dalton going into his <laughs> And he just had this look on his face of like pure determination. It was great. <laughs> I'm like, there's no chance I'm doing this exam ever again. Wow. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, for my exam, I remember, so my partners, Quincy and Dom, so they had the morning exam and I was staying at Dom's place because he was living downtown and I was doing my exam in Toronto at Princess Margaret. So they woke me up in the morning because they were so loud in the kitchen. So I ended up waking up for that and I had the afternoon exam. I couldn't even eat a single banana. It took me over an hour to get that banana down. <laughs> oh, appetite. I was so, I've never been nervous like this in my life. Like I've competed in sports before, like wrestling, things like that. And I've never felt this way where I had that feeling in the pit of my stomach. But then once the exam started, I was in go mode and all that went away. But I couldn't eat anything before the exam. I was so nervous. I think a lot of people go through that too, but it's normal. Hundred percent. You almost have to. You have to literally take it. Like, I mean, I have background in sport too, but I was literally like, "This is a game," and like, I am going full out, man. Like, because there's, there's no chance I want to do this again. And you, you really have to be mentally focused. I think that's more important, honestly, mm-hmm. than anything. From like my experience, is like, very much like being in control of like 
where your, your headspace is at, like mentally, um, and like controlling your, your, your anxiety around it. Mm -hmm. Because I think the unfortunate part, like for people who fail, it's not because they don't know what they're doing or they haven't been taught properly, but it's like the, the anxiety around it, you, you make one mistake or you're kind of off that day and it can completely ruin like your whole day. Like I can see how it can like compound into multiple stations, not going well because you're like, Oh, I I didn't do this and I didn't do that. And then you're like, well, if I fail this exam, I'm not a physio like for a while. Like there's just so much pressure around it that just makes, makes it so much more difficult. Yeah. And it is a lot more high stakes than when I took it. Cause when I took it uh, back in 2015, um, there wasn't this whole thing where if you don't pass, you lose your job. And at least that's, that's in Ontario, by the way, it's not the situation in other provinces, but that just makes the stakes so much higher because, uh, I know a lot of, a lot of students have told me how they felt afterwards when they have to tell their patients that, Oh, I I can't work anymore. And it's tough. uh, It's tough. And as well, the opportunity cost of all that money that you potentially lose from being off work for six months. Luckily we didn't have that. What we had back in 2015, which was the last year of this 2016 was when they introduced this. If you don't pass you, you can't work. But in 2015, what happened was you would have uh, a restricted title. And what that meant is that you had to, you could only work if your supervisor or mentor or whatever they call that is in the clinic with you. So if you were working, let's say evening hours and your supervisor works in the morning, well, you can't work in the evenings. You'd have to work in the mornings, but people would accommodate the schedules. Right. But now it's just, you can't work done. Yeah. Yeah. And it sort of sucks. But, um, I spoke to, uh, the college president who, um, spoke about this and he said that the reason why they implemented this is because, um, they read regulations and regarding, um, professional, uh, competency. And they found that in other professions, People can't work unless they pass the competency exam. And because this is classified as a competency exam, um, if you don't pass, then it technically means that you were not competent, which isn't true in the sense that are you a good physio or not? Because like I said before, it's a game, right? Like this is not real physio. And I see a lot of really, really good physios not pass this. But in a strict sense of looking at the wording and looking at what the exam is supposed to um, be, I guess, um, saying that you're competent. I guess Mm -hmm. that's true. So I I expect that probably to start happening at other provinces as well. They're probably going to be implementing that soon. Mm. This is like, this is a conversation that I've, and and I think uh, like you have a lot of experience in like, uh, like, you know, putting this course together, like you're very invested in trying to help people pass this exam, you know, what's on this exam, like after going through it now and like being able, being out in practice and learning the things that like we've learned. And I feel like a lot of people in the profession, at least in Canada or Ontario, let's say like, they say this is like the content that's on the exam is not indicative of actual practice and like in, in ways. And it's just like, at times I feel like it can be frustrating going through this process and then you get kind of screwed over because now you fail this exam and you can't continue to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I do agree in one sense and don't in the other. So I do agree that some of the content is outdated because if you just look at the, um, like my own personal experience, like I can't speak about what the stations were on mine and you guys can't speak on the stations that were on yours, but my own personal experience was that some of the stuff I saw in my exam 
was outdated old school physio. And as well, if you just look at the sample questions that they have in the, the blueprint or whatever they call that, the handbook that the Alliance makes, some of the stuff is outdated and not with the evidence, right? So in that regard, I do agree with that. But I do agree that there should be a board exam and that there should be a practical exam. And the reason for this is that if you look at other professions, like you look at pilots, for instance, right? What do they do? They do simulated practice. They do simulated flights where they're learning how to, how to fly before they actually get on a plane. And they test on that before they actually do the real thing. And what are they learning when they're doing that? They're learning all the worst case scenario things. They're learning what happens if an engine fails, what happens if there's bad weather, like how do you navigate that and what do you do? In the same way, when you're practicing for the PC clinical component, you're learning and practicing, you're simulating, you're doing a patient simulation. So you're practicing worst case scenarios. What happens if a patient has a red flag? How do you identify that red flag? How do you deal with high-risk patients, patients in the ICU? How do you deal with safety precautions? So what do you do in those scenarios? How do you identify them and how do you proceed? So in that regard, I think it is uh, very valuable. And just going through the course, especially seeing the five-week course where we have people through the entire five weeks where we can see their improvement, I really do see people improve in their soft skills. They become much more proficient because the truth is if this exam wasn't in place, people would not be practicing and they wouldn't be learning these things like red flags and um, safety precautions. Like that stuff's not sexy. What they're going to be learning is fancy exercises or fancy mobs, things like that. And they're never going to be practicing this stuff. That's super important for physio because that one patient that comes in that has cancer and you don't catch it. You're, you are a first line of contact now in, in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't catch that, that's a patient that you're putting at risk. So I do think that the practical exam is something that's very useful. Uh, I do like how there is an emphasis on soft skills. I see in the five-week course how people are stumbling over their words. They can't even really articulate what they want to say when they're teaching a simple exercise, right? They're teaching a core exercise or doing whatever. They're stumbling over the words. But by week five, they're saying it's smooth. People can understand what they're saying. There's no jargon which I still see a lot of clinicians use uh, and I see it less with newer clinicians, but older because they're going through this program. Um, but with older clinicians, I hear some ridiculous things. Like I, I gave an example on one of the lectures, the Facebook live lectures that I was teaching about one of my CIs, he was doing dry needling on a patient and the patient's like, Oh, so what does this do? And he goes, uh, you know, you know, it has a neurophys effect, you know, and the patient's like, oh, okay. So that, hopefully that doesn't happen by working on how to communicate to patients and not just using physio jargon, right? Mm-hmm. So I do think there's definitely a place for this practical exam. Hopefully the material will gear, be geared more towards more evidence-based things and not so much outdated uh, physio in the future. But at this point, I don't think anything has changed. Yeah, I think that's the problem, right, is, is we have to make it more about uh, making sure you're safe and communicating well. And that should be almost the entire focus. Yeah. And I think where It that- is a big focus, though, which is great. It is a big yeah. focus of it. Yeah, and, and my, my opinion and my thoughts on this is, like, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think, like, the red flags thing and, like, the communicating thing, like, I'm not one, like, 
is going to say, oh, let's just abolish the exam. Like deep down inside, I want the exam abolished. But, <laughs> but I, I understand. Like I get where you're – and I think it's, it's true, like what you're saying. I, I agree with that. What, what kind of I think is frustrating and I hope changes that I feel like that exam, what's, what is expected of us that you're saying that is outdated evidence that we have to learn and prepare for is what we're being taught in school because our programs in school are very much geared towards us passing the exam. Like that is basically a lot of what we learn in school. So my thought is like, and I think in order to maybe change some of the content that we're learning in school to help educate like new clinician or new physios coming out of school to be more prepared for this new stuff is like, if we alter what's on that exam, then we can maybe alter some of the things that are being taught in school to be more evidence-based, more up to date that can allow for physios to come out and be more prepared to enter into the profession. I 100% agree with everything you just said. That's exactly what I've been saying to everyone I've been speaking to before. Uh, but as well, I should I should also add another comment is that I've I've gone through now lecture notes from about six different Canadian universities, and there's so much discrepancy between them. They they really, I think they're trying to gear towards the PC, but really no one knows what's on the PC, right? Because it's independent from the schools. Capper is independent from every other party, not affiliated with the college, with the with the CPA or anything else. So I do think that once the, the PC does change, if it does change, I should say, hopefully it does, I think you'll see some more change in Canadian schools. But you're, you, do, you are seeing a bit more change in the Canadian curriculums. Because I was listening to that podcast with Alex Dirks, and he was saying how in Queens they're doing all this pain science stuff. That wasn't in place when I was there three years ago or 2015. Uh, you guys with Dave Walton, like you guys have a great program there. So some of that is getting implemented. Um, and there is some more exercise being implemented into the programs. But there is still a lot of outdated material out there. I think one thing that will change it as well will be just new profs coming in, some new blood, some people who are more up to date with the current evidence. Um, and as well, some people who are, um, who have as well have some clinical experience. Yeah. It's tough because because of the material that is on the exam, you can only get so creative or so evidence-based with what you're teaching. Like something that we hear we heard a lot was like um you know, this is how we're going to teach you it. This is how you should do it on your exam. And yeah, and that's the on one your exam or on the PC cuz throughout right. schooling they never talked about the PC to us. Like that was not mentioned. Yeah. We had no idea. They would just say for the exam. Yeah, it was more, exactly. it was more that. And that was yeah. probably like, that was probably one of the most frustrating things. Like I was getting sick and tired of hearing that, but like, I, I agree with you in the sense it is changing and it's not like I'm sitting here and just trying to be negative about everything. I would agree. Like there's a lot of like really good things that are changing in physio school. And like, even we experienced it, like you said, with yeah. the pain, pain science class. And, you know, we did talk, a, started talking a little bit more about like communication on a small scale and like biopsychosocial, like it is it is changing, but I really think like the problem is, is, and we've talked to some people like at Western in terms of like the curriculum and how it's, how it's spaced out and all that kind of stuff. And like a big problem is like there's parts that they can't take out. Let's just say modalities, for example, that yep, we yep. get like a, a super long court. Like I don't even remember how long it was, but it was way too long. Learning about magnets. And you need, yeah, yeah. And you need to like have that in there. 
Whereas like you could take that out and replace it with something that's more completely agree. Right. And and that's what I think the exam is holding back. Like patient system. Yeah, no, I I agree with that completely. You know, it's going to be a slow change. I think, I do think that the PC is the one of the things that's really holding it back, but there's also some older profs there that are holding on to some of this older material, but I think it'll slowly change. It's going to take a while, but yeah, I agree. There's no reason why anyone should learn anything about diathermy in 2008, 19 now. <laughs> when you read about diathermy, like the therapist has to leave the room so that they don't get radiation or anything like that. It's not safe for the therapist to stay in the room. I don't know why where anybody, no one, I don't know anyone who uses it, to be honest. And I don't know why there's a lecture in every school dedicated to this, but oh, hopefully the, the PC will change and the school curriculums will change as well. So like, what do you think the process is for that to actually happen? You know what I mean? Like what, what like I, what's the, cause like, who, who is Capper, man? Like who, like, I want to know who it is. Like, who can I talk to? Like, who can come on the podcast they're like, they're like maybe the that we can talk to? Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah, what? you and me both, buddy, maybe you should reach out to them and get someone on the podcast. I think that would be great. Actually get some That's what whoever's out there. If you're listening, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're down to have you on at the MVMT PTs on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> But they're independent of everyone else. There, there's no affiliation with them with any anything else. Um, I think they, from what I've heard now, a lot of the, I've heard some stuff through the grapevine, and from what I've heard, don't know if this is true or not. They get a a committee of experienced physios, whatever that means. Okay, I don't know what the criteria is for experienced video physios. A lot of them are members of faculty as well, and they review the questions and see whether it's something that's um, they think would would be useful to use in the PC. I think that's how the questions are created. Uh, as well, I know for in if you look at the handbook that they they let you download off the website, they say that um, they about fifty questions on the written or tester questions. So they put those out, see what the results are, how many people get them correct, how many people get them wrong, and then based on that, they decide whether or not to implement that on the actual form and not the the tester questions. I think it's 50. I don't know what the number is, but that's, that's my knowledge of it. And I don't know how the password, the pass score works exactly, but the statistical method I've heard is called the modified Angoff method. I don't know what that is. I tried to look it up. I couldn't make sense of it, but uh, no one knows. No one knows. That's That's the thing. It's just, it's, it's, it's so funny. Like I I find the secrecy weird. It is weird, man. It's Uh, like, you can't talk. You can't talk about it. You can't, you know, yeah. there's like all these little talk about the, what was on the exam. No, and I agree with so that too. stuff that they can, that they can do. And they have to <laughs> I, then create a whole bunch of other questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. But, so man, I, I felt like part, I was going like, in like, they, they're like the CIA, man. They're like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah. going to let you know where your location is to let, like, you can't do this. You can't, I'm like, dude, it's just busy. Yeah, the location <laughs> thing was ridiculous this time. Like you guys didn't hear until like two weeks before or something, right? Yeah. I'm like, what do you think we're yeah. going to do? <laughs> like, people, no, that, that's a problem there because some people are, who are from Toronto have to go to Saskatoon and they got to book a flight. And when they're doing that last second, either they're paying a shitload for their flight or they're not getting a flight, it's, right? Yeah, it's, it's wild. I, what blows me away is three months to get your response on whether you pass or not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So with, with that, uh, it's because they have to gather around in the committee again and then see whether or not there was any issues with the questions 
Yeah. <laughs> and with all the written questions, they have to gather around and see if there's any other answers that weren't on their uh, quote unquote mark sheet. So if there's something that someone else put that makes sense, they have to speak over it and see whether or not they, they're going to actually give marks on it. So there is a process. Uh, three months is a little bit long. What blows my mind is more the written exam that takes over a month sometimes when it's a computerized exam. Like that should come out ASAP. You should know the next day with, yeah. the, with the written. For sure. Well, appreciate you chatting with us about that. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I wanted to bring up because I know you lifted your mug before. Oh, yeah. So I want to see it. What is it? Yeah, this is my movement PT <laughs> mug right here. What? Are you serious? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> And if you check out the other side here, the movement PTs. I had to pay three bucks extra just to get the, the black handle to fit the oh brand. Oh my God. Okay, that so because this is audio and no one can probably see this, Cash just made a mug with me and Will, one of our pictures, and then our logo on it. Oh, that's that amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. That, I, Kate, because you brought it up before the show. And I thought- oh, I, I didn't show it. I was sipping on it. I forgot that I had it on there. And I was like- Wait a minute. Like, I thought I saw that, but then I was like, there's no way. Where, where, can, we, where can we get one of those bad uh, Staples. <laughs> Staples Printing Center. Oh, man. That's them to sponsor you. That's amazing. Oh, oh my God. That's the best, that's the best that's thing anybody's, the, anybody's brought. Hands down. Like, you, yeah. your, your episode picture is shot to the top. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got to make sure you get that close up. Yeah. Oh, I will. I will. Um, one thing I want to ask you, Cash, I know, like, I know you were a CI for, for a bit and like, you're very heavy in like the education and all that. Like, what do you think personally, like in your, in your opinion that, um, the education system for physios could, could get better at and maybe some things that they do really well as too within the, within our program? Um, yeah. So one thing I think is that there should be an education process for clinical instructors, uh, cause I know there's a lot of students that go into placements and they have really bad experiences because the clinical instructors are not trained on how to become a clinical instructor. In the US, I think there's a lot of things that uh, Canadian physio in Canada can learn from the US. After being in the US, I can, I can say this. In the US, they have a program that all clinical instructors have to go through, through the APTA. And... They have to go through this program to learn how to be a clinical instructor before they can even become a clinical instructor. I think that's something definitely that they should implement in uh, the physio programs in Canada. One thing that I experienced myself personally as a student was that you'd get put down as a student before you even see the patient. So what are the expectations and what are the outcomes of that patient when they're seeing a student? I remember I had a clinical instructor and this was my fifth placement and I was actually pretty confident in my skills by that time. I was praised by a lot of other clinical instructors before, but this clinical instructor didn't let me touch patients. Finally, after like four weeks or something, he, he does attraction on one of the patient's necks and he's like, oh, why don't you try? And when I do it, you know, neck traction, not a hard thing, right? He asks the patient, it's better when I do it, right? When you say right, what is that? That's a leading yes, question. Buddy. So what's the patient going to say? Oh, yeah, so much better when you do it. And then the patient started like giving me handling skills and things like that, right? Oh, a patient God. who hasn't been through that education system. Because of that experience, every time I had a student, what, how I would introduce them is I would say that 
This is so-and-so. He's doing his master's in physiotherapy at Queen's University, and he's really great, or she's really great. And that sets up the expectation that, oh, this person's really good. And number one, people don't even know that it's a master's program. They think that we do like a six-week program, certificate program or something like that. They don't know how much schooling we do and how much we know. And by telling people that this student is doing their master's in physiotherapy, it sets the bar higher for them. There's, there's a better expectation for that student uh, seeing that patient. Their outcomes are likely going to be better. And whenever patients are, are saying things towards a student, like giving them advice and things, I, like in terms of like handling, oh yeah, put your hand here. Because some, some patients are professional patients. They've been there for like 10 plus years or so. So they think that they have a lot of knowledge in physio. Um, and when that happens, I, I intervene a lot of times and I say, oh no, he's doing a great job or she's doing a great job. And I think that really sets a tone because I've seen what happens afterwards where they're like, oh yeah, yeah. And then whenever the patients see those students afterwards, their outcomes are great. And I, so I had that experience too, where my second clinical instructor she bigged me up big time before seeing every patient. She was like, oh, he's so smart. He's smarter than I am, blah, 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 and going off and off. And when patients saw me, they got better because yeah. of the expectation that was built there. Yeah. Was it that or was it that mean traction you gave? Oh, it was <laughs> a, a little bit of both. A little bit of both. <laughs> Grip and rip. <laughs> yeah. no, I think that's a good point. I think um, what we experienced was very similar. You know, we had obviously some good um, – clinical instructors and some maybe not as yeah. clinical instructors. But what I found was really frustrating for me was when I wasn't allowed to develop my own reasoning process because it had to be the same as my CIs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that it's an interesting point you brought up because we've never actually talked about that concept of actually prepping clinical instructors to be clinical instructors. And I do, I do think that would be really valuable. Yeah. And to your point of um, you weren't really allowed to do things that you thought were clinically indicated, uh, I do see a problem as well in the curriculum where you learn how to do things, but you don't learn the why or when. Like you don't know when to implement these things. And because of that, people are just doing, like people are just mimicking what their clinical instructors did. If they had a placement where their clinical instructor was doing a bunch of soft tissue, even though they learned all this other stuff at school, they're just doing a bunch of soft tissue because they, they saw how that was applied. Right. So unless you know when and why to apply these things, it really means nothing to you if you just know a bunch of techniques. Yeah. And I feel like that's such a hard thing when you're transitioning into actual practice. Like from my experience, it's like we know it's not black and white. It's very gray. And like that critical thinking and that thought process is is so huge to be able to like, develop that. Like, I feel like I'm starting, like I got a chance to do that in school too. Cause like some of my CIs were really good. Um, but like now that I'm out, like bouncing that off of like the physio that I work with, I'm not saying his name. Um, uh, you mentioned him enough on every episode, too many, too many times, <laughs> yeah. about name. but like, it's good to be able to like go through your clinical reasoning process, like why you're going to do something, present that to the, to your colleague and then have that, have a little bit of dialogue, you know, and like, see what they think and like trying to develop that, that reasoning, I think is huge. And that's helped me quite a bit as like time has gone on. Cause now, you know, okay, here's why maybe I should go in this direction. And maybe here's why you shouldn't go in that direction. And it's not just because they don't like soft tissue release, you know what I mean? Or, yeah. or because they really like to use that for everything. Yeah. Yeah. And 
like there's a lot of other physios and new grad physios that go out into the world that don't have that support system you have, right? They're on their own or they're in clinics where they don't have time for them. So I do think that there needs to be a better way to help students get ready for the real world. Mm -hmm. And definitely another thing I should probably bring up is I, I know this has been beaten down, but the lack of education on exercise in the programs. Yeah, and this is across the board everywhere. Uh, I think the reason why uh, clinicians, physiotherapists don't really implement a lot of exercise, even though we're supposed to be movement specialists or exercise specialists, I think it's because they don't know anything about it. Like mm-hmm. they learn nothing about it. They, they learn about ultrasound. They learn about doing mobilizations. They learn about all these other things, but not about exercise. And how are you going to use something that you didn't learn how to use? Right. And I think it's not only just exercise. I think it's taking exercise and layering it on top of a biopsychosocial framework and understanding and understanding pain, because that's the one thing that I've like, I feel like I've, I've spent a lot of time trying to develop myself in exercise and loading and all those different things, but it's a different game when you're trying to load it onto like on top of someone that's had pain for X amount of years or is dealing with like different psychosocial factors. Like how, like what, how are you using this exercise like to help this person? You know, like, especially if you're only seeing them once, maybe, maybe twice a week, you know, like how much adaptation are you really getting from like a physiological standpoint? Like what's really going on? Like there's a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So like, I think that is why, where it's even more important that it needs to be in school. Like not just teaching someone, I think it's important to be able to teach someone how to squat or deadlift, but how do you layer it on top of those, those other things. Uh, I agree. And when I mean exercise, I don't necessarily mean exercise, like specific learning how to do exercises. Right. What I mean more is when to implement it, why you're doing it, what the, the physiological response is to it, right. what are the benefits of it? What are some of the times when you shouldn't be using exercise, yeah. learning how to load people appropriately. And that also does involve the biopsychosocial approach. That's a good point. Some people aren't ready. Some people aren't ready for that stuff too. And that's a hard thing to, that's a hard thing to learn. That's something I've learned a lot too, is like, when do you, when do you, you dial it back? And then when do you like push, like expose versus protect that person? For sure. And I think that's a little bit where the art comes in, right? For sure. Because as a new grad, I was like, go, 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 like throw them with every, throw everything at them. Some people aren't ready for that. And that's something... I think if you spend the time to um, look into like research and look into taking some courses and learn a little bit more, you're going to be exposed to that. But otherwise, I think a lot of other people are still set on this um, pathoanatomical model where they think that, oh, the reason this person isn't getting better is because they're not doing their exercise. So they have to do their exercise. And they don't know that you have to, I don't want to say the word coerce, because it sounds a little bit like you're manipulating them, but sort of pull them towards, towards getting, wanting to do exercise and wanting to get better. And some of that is that soft skills where you explain to them why this would be important, how it would benefit them and how it would change their life. Yeah. And it's like, how would it reach your goals? Yeah. It's easy to go. It's, I, it's easy to go down that other path to like more of like, let's say passive modalities or things that aren't as active because like, where else do you go? Like what coming out of school, like what else do you really fall back on? Because like what we know is like education, empowerment, like exercise, activity modification, all these things are very much supported in like what's going to help people get better. But yet 
it's, I would say from my experience is lacking in the education system. So then you come out and you're kind of like, you're caught, you're caught in a hard spot because you're like, these people are coming to see you now expecting you to help them. And you're like, (sighs) yeah. And you said what we know and, but what, what we know, that's what like us three and some other people know, not necessarily what all physio students know coming out of school because they're not taught that. Right. Right. And that's why, that's why I think it's, yeah. needs, it's important that it needs it's important, to be yeah. heavily, heavily implemented into the education system. Yeah. And as well have a practice component to it, have that patient simulation because yeah. it's right. really difficult to speak to someone who is resistant against these ideas and how do you bring it up and how do you win into them? Cause to throw that pain sign speech on them on day one, not going to work. No. Right. And sometimes never, like you shouldn't be implementing that ever for some people, right? right. Some, people aren't re- some people aren't ready for it and some people may not be ready for it, but can you still help them? Yes, right? You just frame it a different way and you can help them. Yeah, and that's, and the, tough, are, that's the tough part. Like that's the learning experience. Like I'm learning that right now on the go. Like, I'm learning that. Right? I'm, I'm always learning. Still yeah, learning. And like, I'm having trouble with that too. I think what like it, it pushes me and Will like motivates, <laughs> motivates us is that like we want to be able to help people like in the students or new grads like have that information so that when they come out they're they're feeling more confident or at least have had time to experiment with it like yeah. in school or on placement whereas then when they come out into actual practice like they feel you know more more comfortable with 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 doing it yeah and it's i think in my opinion this is my opinion because maybe it's because i don't have great success with dealing with patients with persistent pain but I do think that it's always going to be hard all the time. It's always going to be challenging. They are very challenging patient. I think probably it's harder for someone like you and I who are normal clinicians and patients aren't coming in with built-in expectations. I think maybe this pain science talk might work better with Adrian Lowe or Mosley, not only because they're more skilled at giving it, but I also think that the people who are going to see them, seek them out. So there's already that expectation built, built in there. So someone who's going to go see Mosley or going to go see Adrian Lowe or whoever else that they know of, a lot of times they're physios themselves who know what their gig is, what they're about. So they know they're going to get like more of a guiding approach as opposed to a fix me approach. Mm-hmm. And I think they've already bought into that. Whereas there is a struggle for the normal clinician to try to implement that when there isn't a buy-in because it is a hard thing for someone who doesn't have the educational background that we have to accept that it's not just because your knee has arthritis that you have pain. It's not just because of what's going on at that body part. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's why it's a big, a big factor for us as like a profession is to make sure we're pushing that information out to, to people, to the public, to, to, so that that expectation is shifted. You know what I mean? It's changing so that then when they come in, like they're expecting that from a physio, like they're expecting to be, educated they're expecting you know to understand like we're going to take into consideration multiple things not just like their biomechanical faults mm-hmm. or like their yeah. like you know what i'm saying so like i don't know i think it's changed i think it's getting better yeah. like i it, i think we're making a hopefully. yeah hopefully yeah, it will. Like, i'm positive that like as a profession it's it's starting to to change and i i'm very optimistic i would say I don't yeah. know if that's just me being a young, a young guy that just started. <laughs> I got that fire right now or if I've just consumed way too much coffee, but like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm positive. But I think but, that's clear. Like, you know, we're seeing obviously like things like pain science are starting to be taught 
uh, and that's becoming more common. What I think is probably the next step is blending it within our kind of how we engage with people, you know, because like you mentioned, like a lot of times it's not sitting there talking about pain science, like who is like, I think we can all agree very few people are going to benefit from that, but it informs, it informs uh, how the person in front of you and how they're responding. And then maybe uh, how you might go from there. Right. So that's probably like the, the next kind of step we need to make. I think the one big thing I took from getting, gaining all this knowledge about pain science is knowing like how our words can affect patients. And now for sure, I think the benefit that a patient has coming to me as opposed to most other clinicians would be that I, I'm very hopeful. I, I'm very optimistic when they, they see me, when they tell me, oh, this is going, I'm like, oh, don't worry. Like this gets better. Like it takes time, blah, blah, blah but you're going to get better. You're going to get back to whatever it is, as opposed to pointing out a million faults, which can have a nocebo effect as we know. Right. So mm-hmm. I think that's the benefit that um, teaching students really early about pain science can have not necessarily dealing with patients with persistent pain, but preventing patients from becoming patients with persistent pain. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Awesome. Cash Mahdi, yeah. registered physical yeah. therapist. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Cash, that's awesome. Why don't you uh, just leave, leave a little bit of information for people where they can find like physio night out on Facebook, um, you know, where they can find more about like your, your course and what you offer through uh, physical therapy development Institute. Yeah, sure. So the courses uh, you can find us on past the PCE.ca really easy to remember past the PCE.ca on Instagram. You can find us at past the PCE um, and for Physio Night Out, you can find me on Instagram at Physio Night Out. And as well on Facebook, I have a group called Physio Night Out. So you can just join the group and you can get updates on whenever the next events are. And on the Instagram page, I normally post up some clips of the past speaker. Yeah. Yeah. So that's- and I just want to add a little bit to that for like for the Canadian student listeners and, and that like me and Will both went through the, the boot camp. Um, we've also been to the physio night out like this is really good quality stuff, like especially for the, the boot camp. Like if you're looking to go and prepare yourself for the exam, like trust us when we say like this helped us a lot, like very much helped us. So like I'm going to plug it hard, but it's, it's true. The way it was laid out, the way that you guys broke everything down, like you, Dom, like Quincy, the way that you guys presented it was very, very helpful. So if you're a student like coming up to prepare for this exam, like highly suggest you, you check it out and it's worth, it's worth every penny. Oh, thanks guys. Really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were speaking before this uh, this podcast here about how bad it would have been if you guys didn't pass. And I, I, was know. Well, I know. Me and Everything worked out. Yeah, <laughs> we'd be uh, having our coffees a little Irish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> would have been blacklisted from this thing. Oh man! <laughs> but yeah, thanks a lot for coming on, Cash. Well, talking thanks for to having me, guys. Yeah, yeah, great chat, awesome. guys. And also, I just want to say how awesome it is. You guys are are doing all this, like doing the podcast, doing the social media stuff, like what you guys do, are doing, it's really important, but as well, it's super cool that you guys started this as students. You guys are way, 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 way beyond where I was as a student, not only as a student, as a new grad clinician, like you guys are, are light years ahead. And hopefully this will have a lot of influence on other students to maybe start their own thing, but at least 
learn more about the stuff you guys are putting out there. Yeah, I appreciate Yeah, appreciate that very much. That's definitely something we want to encourage students to do is like, just learn, seek, like take control of your own learning, seek out the information. There's a lot of really good stuff out there. And if you want to mess around and start an Instagram account, like do it, go for it. Have fun. Yeah. All right. All right. Great chat guys. All right, Cash. We'll talk to you. See you. Bye. Bye.